Why don't you turn your Bible on or grab a Bible and turn to Psalm 91. And while you do that, if you were here for our first in-person service a couple of weeks ago, you'll remember that my wife Amy, she preached a cracking message. I know that I'm biased, but if you've not listened to it or watched it, check it on the podcast or watch it on YouTube. And she talked about this challenge um, from the story of Joseph, come out, come out from wherever you are. Do you remember that? Come out, come out wherever you are. And it was all about using the closing moments of Joseph's life. We looked back, Joseph of Technicolor dream coat face. You know, I close my eyes. You know the guy we're talking about? Say yes, Matt, please. Don't just let me be humiliated here. And how Joseph goes through good times, bad times, success, sorrow, suffering, high points, low points. And yet wherever he finds himself, good, bad or ugly, he is willing to come out, not hide, and be used by God in the moment. And it was a great message. And, uh, and I, I want to follow on from it this week, and actually in again two weeks' time, uh, with, a, with a similar theme that will sound a little bit contradictory, because Amy's message was, come out, come out from wherever you are, and mine today is, stay hidden, stay hidden, whatever you do. Uh, this may cause marital issues later on, so pray for us, but no, no, she knows what I'm speaking on. Stay hidden, stay hidden, wherever you do, uh, whatever you do. And you'll remember that uh, Amy spoke about hide-and-seek. Anyone enjoy playing hide-and-seek? Never too old for hide-and-seek. Let me just check the time, just so I know what time two hours is. And um, I am just teasing, don't worry. Uh, we'll be out by 12 at the latest. And, uh, and, it, and it made me think about when my boys were younger. I've got two sons who are now 28 and 25. I know I don't look old enough, but... Um, and, uh, and I used to love playing hide-and-seek with them, but my eldest son, Andy, he seemed to struggle a little bit with the rules. And so I'd be in the front of our house, and I'd close my eyes and lean against the wall, and I'd slowly and loudly count to ten. And then I'd say, okay, I'm coming, and I'd open my eyes, uh, ready to leave that room, only to discover that he was still in that room, um, standing beside, not behind the curtain, absolutely in plain view. And of course, I wanted to be a good dad, and so like an actor avoiding the camera, I'm now looking around this room, doing everything I possibly can to avoid his gaze, uh, gaze saying things like, oh, I wonder where Andy is. Like, he must be really hiding well. And now at this point, again, he's kind of lost the purpose of the game, because now he's going, I'm here, Dad. I'm here, I'm here, I'm by the curtain, Dad, I'm here. And, and I try to ignore him because obviously this is not the way it's supposed to go. And, and, and so still I'm looking around going, oh, where is he? he? He must be hiding really well. And now he's like, I'm here, Dad, I'm here. And then eventually he will literally jump in front of me and go, I'm here, I'm here, you found me. And I remember saying to him, son, you are supposed to stay hidden. You're supposed to stay hidden. That's the point of the game. And I want to talk to you this morning about the importance of us staying hidden. But when I talk about staying hidden, I mean staying hidden in the secret place of prayer with God. Staying hidden in the secret place of God. Because Amy is absolutely right that God is calling each and every one of us to come out, come out wherever we are. Wherever we are, we are called to be men and women of kingdom impact in the world. Whether life is good, bad, or in a struggle, whatever situation we face, heaven invites us. Come out, come out, wherever you are. But here's something that I've discovered. 
that God's ability to use us outwardly is disproportionately determined by what he's doing with us inwardly. That your public impact in the world is dependent on your private intimacy with God. Like one flows from the other. You can't get the fruit without the root. Now, if you've been in Zio at all over the last six months or so, you'll know that this is our 40th year, this is our reboot year, and we really sense that God's going to do a new thing in us. And one of the new things that we're excited and slightly scared about is that we genuinely believe God's calling us to be not just one Zio church, but a whole network and movement of Zio churches in this area, around the country, and in other countries. Uh, and uh, we are praying and planning uh, uh, about birthing what we're calling Zio Collectives, these smaller churches all around uh, the place uh, starting next year. And it was only a few weeks back that we had a, a leadership team meeting. That's Our leadership team is the, the, the group of men and women who uh, have the spiritual oversight of the church, that we listen to God to try to get a sense of where God's taking the church. And um, on that meeting, I was really pumped about it because I knew in this meeting, we were going to plot out the plan about how we were going to, this autumn, start training people and preparing people to plant Zio churches next year. And uh, so I was really excited about it. We were going to map out all this, start asking people. And uh, we, we had this time of prayer as we always do, you'll be pleased to know right at the start, really pushing into God. And... To my surprise, frustration, and encouragement, all of us felt at the end of this prayer time that God was saying, not yet. Not yet. And basically, we we felt a challenge from heaven saying, this church does not have a deep enough prayer culture to carry us forward into the next chapter of the church. We don't have a prayer route to build the new kingdom fruit that God wants. Like, and, and that's the prayer culture of Matt Summerfield. That's the, the prayer culture of the leadership team. And that is the prayer culture of the whole church. All of us together, individually and together. Like God is saying, like, there's a deeper level of prayer finding God in the secret place, staying hidden with God in the secret place, that if we enter into that place, we will see things we've never seen before. Because it's not business as usual. And that's why in this month of autumn, if you were watching online church last week, we've got people speaking about prayer, intimacy with God. I'm going to talk about it today. We're going to talk about it in two weeks' time. And we'll be sharing with you like what we sense is the new prayer strategy and plan for the whole of Zio in a couple of weeks' time and how that plays out for us individually. Because if you are here for the first time and you're wondering, like, what even is this word Zio? Zio is a word from the Bible, and it means power. Passion. Is there anyone who's got a little bit of passion in this house? Okay, half of us. Excellent. The others should have had more coffee this morning, clearly. Zeo means passion, and it doesn't just mean kind of passion. It means like burning hot with passion, like overflowing with passion. Passion that when it steps into the room, the atmosphere of the room changes. And God wants us to be a people of passion in many different ways, but that includes prayer. And let's just have a pause moment. This isn't a rebuke on any of us, but when we had that prayer moment that Alex led us in, how passionate did it sound to you? Open question. Pushing into God, seeking God in prayer. It was the 19th century preacher Charles Spurgeon. He referred to prayer gatherings as the boiler room of the church. The boiler room. 
Now, in the 19th century, the boiler rooms were the words given to the power plants that were around the country. And so he was making this point in the same way that these power plants, these boiler rooms around the country provide power to everything. He was saying the prayer place, the prayer gathering provides the power of God to everything. No prayer, no power. No prayer, no power. That's the point he was making. I mean, think about it right now. In, in all of our homes, he says, by faith and expectation, all of our homes, there is electricity in all of our homes at the moment. We can't see it, but we know it's there. And that electricity is lying there in expectation for you to plug in your mobile phone so that it will charge, right? It's waiting. You plug it in, wham, power. Like when you go home, it, that electricity is in expectation that when you put a light switch on, wow, light. Plugged in and switched on. I want to say to all of us today, God wants us to be plugged in and switched on. Because heaven is expecting, it's, it's waiting for us to find God in a deeper way in the secret place of prayer. But we need to be plugged in and switched on. I mean, think about it. None of us, none of us, I bet nearly everyone in the room has got a mobile phone. Like, none of you would think about putting your phone into a plug for two minutes and expecting that to keep your phone charged for the whole of the day. And yet, why do we think that a minute, two minutes, 30 seconds, one arrow prayer, one moment with God a day is going to power us up for the whole of the day. It's no wonder that many of us, including me at times, we feel spiritually battery drained because we're not charged up. We are running spiritually on empty. We're running on empty. Is everyone with me this morning? And it was like, oh, now you're messing with me. It's going to be challenging today. I've got a friend of mine who leads a church in Exeter. And I was hearing him speak a few uh, months back. And he was, he was talking about how um, in his role like our church, like he's passionate about community and he's built good relationships with city officials. And whenever he goes to see the council, he sits with them. And the first question that he always asks them is, how much time do I have? And depending on what they say, he's got a whole bunch of stuff that he would love to tell them. But if they only say five minutes, then he'll just give them five minutes worth. He'd love to give them more. But if they only got five minutes, that's what he'll do. And he told in this story how he was walking away from this venue and, and, and how he always asked this question, how much time do I have? And he felt the Holy Spirit say, do you know what, Mark? That's the question I ask you every time you come to me in prayer. How much time have I got? Oh, about a minute. Oh, Mark, I'd love to tell you more. I'd love to put more into you. I'd love to fill you more. I'd love to charge you up more. But if you've only got a minute, then we'll work with that. Now, that is God's grace, by the way. Whatever we've got, God will work with. But heaven is saying there is so much more. There's so much more. There's so much more for all of us. The, the problem, and, and this is my problem, okay? Let me be honest with you is that many of us, maybe the majority of us, we've built our whole spiritual life on what I would call God on the go. God on the go. And so our whole encounter with God and our prayer moments are on the go. 
And, and let me be really clear, like that is an essential part of our walk with God. God on the go is really, really important. We are passionate as a church to be the people who wake up every morning and say, God, whatever you're up to, count me in. And so whether we're in work, in the supermarket, wherever we are, we're, we're sensing what the Holy Spirit is up to and we're joining in. We are saying little arrow prayers all throughout the day. That's good. That's healthy. That's right. We want to be people who practice the presence of God. We want to encounter God on the go. But we also need to encounter God in the slow. We need to encounter God in the slowing moments, in the stopping moments. And Jesus himself models both to us. He models, as we're going to see a little bit later, God on the go, but also God in the slow. God in the secret place. And so what we're thinking about is, yes, come out. Come out wherever you are. That's God on the go. But stay hidden. Stay hidden. Whatever you do, that's God in the slow. Is anyone hearing me today? Okay. I remember when, when COVID all kicked off last year, uh, many people, including many people in this room, were very comforted and prayed through Psalm 91. Uh, I know that some of you did that. Psalm 91. It's a great psalm. And I want to read Psalm 91 to you, and then we're going to take a few minutes to look at it. Psalm 91. It says this. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the foulest snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked." If you say the Lord is my refuge and make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because they love me, says the Lord, I will rescue them. I will protect them, for they acknowledge my name. They will call on me, and I will answer them. I will be with them in trouble. I'll deliver them and honor them. With long life, I will satisfy them and show them my salvation. It's a great psalm, isn't it? Great psalm. Raises some big questions, but not what we're going to get into today. And the thing is, like about Psalm 91, you've probably spotted this if you look in your Bible. We don't know who wrote it. We don't know who wrote Psalm 91. There's no author mentioned. There are two schools of thought. Some people think it's Moses, because if you flick back or whiz up, you'll see that Moses wrote Psalm 90. And so some scholars think that this is a continuation, and they didn't write the author because it's following on from Moses. And, and maybe it was written because of some of the things that were said off the back of the Egyptian, uh, the, the Israelite deliverance from Egyptian slavery. Others think that it probably was written by David uh, and he's writing it in great celebration off the back of a, a massive victory against an enemy. What is clear from this psalm, whether it was David or Moses, is this is written by someone who has seen an incredible breakthrough from heaven. They, they have seen impossible things happen. They are feeling victorious. They're feeling encouraged because they've seen a level of power and authority from God that they've never seen. 
And what they say in this is the key to that. And the key is in the first two verses and the last three verses. And in two weeks' time, I'm going to look at the last three verses. But this morning, uh, I just want to spend a little bit of time in the first two verses. How do we see a greater exercising of the power and authority of God? Because like, don't, we, don't we want that? Does any, anybody at the back want that? Is there anybody like, don't we long to see more of the power of God? Like we want to see people healed. We want to see people come to know Jesus. We want to see people get jobs. We want to be, see people free from addictions. Like we want to see this stuff. And there is a limitation on us, but there is no limit on God. We want to see more of the power and authority of God break out. So Psalm 91, verse 1. We're just going to go through this very, very quickly. Uh, first word says, whoever. Say with me, whoever. Yeah. Whoever. Okay, who's whoever? That's like, it's you. Okay, it's talking to you. All right? Whoever dwells. Someone say dwell. So we're going to learn this off by heart. Okay? Whoever dwells. Now, um, if you're not familiar with the Bible, the Old Testament is written in the Hebrew language. And this word dwell is the Hebrew word yeshaf. It appears over a thousand times in the Old Testament. Hundreds of times it's translated dwell. Hundreds of times it's translated inhabits. Sometimes it's translated uh, to just sit and be quiet. But the point of all these words is it's conveying this intentional, regular, basically sitting to be with God. Notice, by the way, and it is in the original language as well, it's dwells, not dwelt. This is a continuous, regular commitment. Whoever dwells, dwells where? Whoever dwells in the shelter Now, depending on your translation, some of your translations will say shelter. Some will say hiding place. If you've got a new King James, it will say the secret place. Whoever dwells in the shelter, in the secret place, with whom? Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High. This is the Hebrew word Elion. And this this name of God, this speaks about God being supreme. God having all authority over everything in the whole of the universe. Like nothing bigger, nothing greater than this God. I don't know if you've ever had a bad experience uh, in a restaurant or on a customer service call uh, and you're feeling so annoyed and you're feeling slightly courageous that that you want to take it further. And so you speak to your waiter or waitress or the person on the phone and you you say to them, "Um, can I speak to your manager please? Or I need to speak to your superior. I want to encourage you today, God doesn't have a superior. There is no one above him. Like when you bring your pain, your agony, your request to God, God doesn't ever look at what you share with him and go, I'm going to need to pass that up the chain. This one's too big for me. There is nothing that you and I face that God can't handle. He is the supreme, ultimate authority and being in the whole universe. And this psalm says, he likes to be with you. Like, just let that soak into your soul for a minute. He, man, is not the master of the universe. God is. And he longs for you to dwell in his shelter. If God can't fix it, no one can. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the, of the Most High, what's going to happen for someone who dwells in this place? It says in the rest of verse 1, they will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. 
they will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This word rest literally means a, a lodging place, like a permanent lodging or a temporary lodging, but it's basically we'll find a good place, a good place in the shadow. Again, the picture here is, do you remember when, uh, I don't know if you joined us for online, uh, not online church, for, for the, the last driving we did. And do you remember, it was a crazy hot day. It was like you could just stand still in the sun and you'd just be sweating like you were in a sauna. It was like, thank you, Jesus, for Mitchum that day. That's all I'm saying. All right, God, or whatever you use. And, um, and I remember we were all in this hot day. And, and if you saw some of us when Jamoki was preaching, we retreated to under the trees. Because under the trees, there was a little bit of a breeze and we were in the shade. And, and, and it was a place when you sat under the trees, you sat down and you went, that's better. That's what the psalm is talking about. That's what he's talking about. He's, if, if you would intentionally position yourself, posture yourself just to be with this supreme almighty God, you will find a, a place where you can find relief, where you can think, oh, that's better. That's better. A place of relaxation, a place of, of relief. In the shadow, and then it says of the Almighty, which is another name of God, uh, Shaddai, meaning the all-powerful God. The all-powerful God. So here's this amazing invitation. Let, let, let me uh, write Psalm 91 verse 1 in a slightly different way, okay? So this is, this is me expanding it. This is the amplified Matt Summerfield version. Are you ready? Whoever intentionally and regularly and consistently sits in the secret place with God, who is ultimate authority and all-powerful, that person will find themselves in a welcome place to relax in a place of rest and relief. Does anyone need that today? Does anyone need that today? I'm okay. I'm okay. A place where you will say, as the psalmist writes in verse 2, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Notice what the psalmist is saying. When you, when you get into that place, something in your soul starts to rise up. And notice it doesn't say, I will think. It says, I will say, I will speak out. I can't help myself. When I find this place of rest in God, peace in God, I just find myself saying, oh God, you are my refuge and my fortress. You are the God in whom I trust. So many of us, we need this moment. But we've just embraced the spiritual life of God on the go, not God in the slow. We need a refuge from the storms of life, a fortress from the battles in life. We need a God that we can trust in and we find him in the slow. Jesus commanded us to regularly take time out to be with God. Matthew chapter 6 verse 6, if you're making notes, Jesus said this, When you pray, notice not if, but when you pray, Go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who is unseen. Then he says, then your father who sees what is done in secret, in the secret place, will reward you. And Jesus didn't just command this, and it is a command, like he modeled it. Like if you look at Jesus' story in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we we see Jesus doing incredible things. We see Jesus as God on the go. 
We see him encountering God on the go. Come out, Jesus. Come out, Jesus, wherever you are. And he does. He turns water into wine. He heals the sick. He casts out demons. He, he feeds the hungry. He calms storms. He raises the dead. He is the God on the go. But we also see Jesus repeatedly God in the slow. There's this little phrase that you'll find often in the Gospels, and it's simply two words, and it says this, Jesus withdrew. Jesus withdrew to the secret place to be with God. Let me give you five examples of Jesus withdrawing that may connect with you today, and then, um, and then we're going to pray, and then we'll bring our time to an end. The first one, Matthew chapter 12, verse 14 to 15. Matthew chapter 12, verse 14 to 15. Jesus knows in this part of the story that the religious leaders are planning to kill him. That's a scary place to be. I don't know if you've ever been in a place where you have been bullied or intimidated by someone. It's a horrible place to be. I have a a friend over in Mexico who uh, a few years ago with the Moore Ministries... um, he, he had a death threat over his life out in ministry for about a year or so. It's a scary place to be, to know when someone wants to do you harm. Where do you go? What do you do when you're being bullied and intimidated? The first thing Jesus does is he withdraws to be with his almighty, most high, all authority father into the secret place. Father, what are you saying about this? What do you want to do about this? God, what are you looking for me to respond in this? Another example, Matthew chapter 14, verse 12 to 13. Matthew 14, 12 to 13. Jesus hears the terrible news that his cousin has been beheaded by Herod. This devastating news that his family member has been killed. And he is heartbroken, as all of us would be. He has lost a loved one in such a horrible way. He's battling with grief and loss. What do you do when you're battling with grief and loss and devastation and heartbreak? The first thing Jesus does is withdraw into the secret place with his almighty, all-powerful Father God. Father, what are you saying about this? What are you asking me to do? How should I respond? In Mark chapter 3, third example. In Mark chapter 2, verse 32 to 39. Mark 2, 32 to 39. It's a better story. Revival has come to uh, Capernaum. Like there are miracles happening. The whole town comes out to hear Jesus preach. This is a moment of great success and prospering and encouragement. Fruitfulness. This is amazing. Just a few months into Jesus' ministry. What do you do when you find yourself in a place of great success? When you're prospering, where everything is going your way? What do you do in that place? The first thing Jesus does is withdraw to be with his almighty, incredible, all-authority Father. And says, God, how do I respond in this moment? What would you have me do? Do do I follow this or not? And, And if you follow that story, I love this particular story that the following morning, Peter finds Jesus and says to Jesus, Jesus, everyone is looking for you. And it's like Peter is saying to Jesus, Jesus, let's get a big top in Capernaum. Let, let's, let, everyone's going to come to us now. We don't need to go anymore. Success and fruitfulness has come here. And the whole of Judah, the whole of Israel could, to come to us. And Jesus smiles and he goes, let's go somewhere else. What are you talking about, Jesus? Let's go somewhere else, Jesus said. Because Jesus understood that he had to get in the secret place with God and say, God, what next? 
And the father said, move on. Don't be trapped by your success. Number four. Is everyone still with me? Luke chapter 5, verse 15 to 16. Luke chapter 5, 15 to 16. We're reminded Jesus has been preaching to thousands of people, working miracles. It's a crazy, busy time. And he's tired. Where do you go when you feel spiritually, emotionally, physically, uh, relationally wrung out and tired? The first thing that Jesus does is withdraw to be with his almighty, all authority, Father. Father, replenish me, fill me, strengthen me in the secret place. And then lastly, number five. These are just five examples. In Luke chapter 22, verse 41. Luke 22, verse 41. We see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's just hours before he knows he's about to be arrested, tortured, uh, nailed to a cross, and then, worse than all of those things, carry upon himself humanity's history of sinfulness and selfishness and sickness and death upon himself. And he is gripped by fear. He is gripped by anxiety and worry. Where do you go when you are gripped with worry and anxiety and fear and you don't know whether you're even going to survive? The first thing that Jesus does is he goes to the secret place with God. Father, help me. Father, encourage me. Father, comfort me. Speak to me. No wonder the writer in Hebrews says in Hebrews 5 verse 7, When Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. And God heard him because of his deep reverence for God. Folks, if you've been at church any time, this time, or any other church, then you would have heard me say, or someone say this kind of thing over and over again. But it's so true. If Jesus Christ who was the son of the living God, God made flesh, if he understood that he was utterly dependent on intentionally and regularly and consistently sitting in the secret place of prayer with his Father God, who is the ultimate authority and all-powerful, so that he himself could find encouragement and comfort and direction and refreshment and peace, then how much more do we? How much more do we? If he needed it, how much more do we? As I close today, I I just want to let you know that God wants to meet with you in the secret place. He just wants to be with you in that secret place of prayer. Not just God on the go, but God in the slow. Your soul is longing for it. Your situation that you face demands it. And the enemy will do everything he can to keep you from it. Everything he can to keep you from it. Stay hidden. Stay hidden. Whatever you do, in order that you can come out, come out, wherever you are. And so today, as I, as I start to close, and team, perhaps you guys want to come up now. Today, what I'm praying, I can't do this. I do feel passionate about this because I know this needs to change in me. That there's more for me to stretch into in this whole area of being with God. Both myself in, the, in my days, in my weeks, but us as a leadership team and us as a church. What I'm praying today that God in his kind will, will, will stoke a little bit of passion in you to go further in this. To find God in the secret place. And then in two weeks time, 
We're going to look at this passage and look at the second key from the final three verses, and we'll talk practically about what does this look like in practice for us individually and as a church. How can we more and more in the year to come encounter God, God in the slow? But what might it look like for you this week? Maybe there are some of you just at a simple level, you just know, you know what, I... I, I don't even have a a daily moment with God, not even a minute. Maybe that's your first stretch in these next week, this next two weeks even, that you'll, you'll literally get your mobile phone out. Oh, mine's over there. You'll get your mobile phone out. And this is how I, I trained myself to pray. In this church, we're training, not trying. We're training ourselves. And so over many years, over many years, I get my mobile phone out and I think, okay, I'm going to pray for two minutes. And I set my timer and I'd have a bunch of stuff I could pray about and then my timer went off and I think, okay, I've done the two minutes and, and then it would be three and then it'd be four and then it'd be longer and now I can pray much longer but I've trained myself to do that, to be with God because it doesn't come naturally to, to most of us. I know we've got some prayer warriors in the house, God bless you, but most of us aren't like that. We train ourselves to be with God. We prioritize time with him. Whether it's in worship, in prayer, in silence, in reading the scripture, all of these things are so, so important. What's, what's a stretch for you in the next week? Could it just be that you will literally just sit in a secret place, a comfortable chair, somewhere that you might determine you'll sit in a secret place and you just say, God, I just want to be with you. One of the things I'm, I'm, I'm learning to do is like, you can tell I like to speak and I love speaking to God. I love to talk to him about what's going on. But, but God's, God's inviting me more to just be still. Be still in the secret place with God. And so why, why don't we stand together? We never want to get into religion. We never want to get into this thing of like, oh, I have to do this. Now I've got another thing that I have to do. The good news is, friends, you don't have to do anything. But you get to. You get the opportunity to spend time every day, just you and him, in the secret place with God. Start small, build up, create that habit. You will not regret it in that place of rest and relaxation. And in my experience, if nothing else happens in the secret place, and we'll talk about this more in two weeks' time, in the secret place, you can just let God love you and remind you who you are. Who you are. And so the the team are going to lead us in a song before we have closing prayer. Uh, I am who you say I am. And as we sing this song, let's just be reminded that when we come with God... We remind ourselves that we are sons and daughters. Better than that, we are beloved sons and daughters of the Most High God who longs for us and wants to take care of us. Why would we not want to spend some time with him? So let's respond in this song just before we close in prayer. Thanks, guys.